going, Tyler? How you doing, man? Excellent. Good to meet you. Talk with you for the first time. Uh, yeah, this is the uh, EricSwanRacing.com podcast. I believe it's going to be number 77. And well, thank you for coming on, talking to me for an hour or so today. Do you have any time limit? Uh, not really, no. Okay. Um, I actually have a, a date tonight, so I can't go too long. Um, <laughs> got a first date with a girl, so uh, we're going to go have some pizza and just uh, hang out, eat at the bar. Okay, cool. I'll try not to uh, ramble on too much then. <laughs> well, I'll let you talk as much as you want. Uh, you know, I'm just looking to help promote racers and uh, help uh, more people learn about the sport. Sweet. Thank you very much, man. I really appreciate that, especially being my whole situation, just moving here and all. So, yeah, that's really cool. Thanks, man. Yeah, and, uh, you know, full disclosure, I wasn't following you uh, up until a couple days ago when uh, my buddy said, uh, hey, you should check this guy out. He's an up-and-comer, and, -comer and uh, I really like his story. <laughs> yeah, it's, I'm still relatively new, you know. Um, I haven't really been out there as much, especially because, you know, with the whole COVID and everything happening as well, I haven't been able to go out and travel a lot. So we've just been racing in our regional area. Uh, so I race in CCS Midwest mainly. And uh, it was it was actually a big thing. We were going to be going to Mount America and everything, but uh, unfortunately we've been worried about budget stuff. So we've just been having to sit back here. And then uh, that thing popped up on the screen. So we had to trade that up and yeah, it's it's definitely a learning curve, especially also being over here, how big it is. Like the world is massive over here. I mean, South Africa, we're pretty, we're pretty big with our racing. We like our racing, but it's nothing as big as over here. So well, it's like a whole new world. In terms of population, um, what is the difference in population size? I think we have like 330 million people in the United States. What about in uh, South Africa? We're like 8 million, 7 million, so around there. Smaller. Yeah, we're a little bit smaller. And of that, maybe like a 10% to enjoy the racing and all that kind of stuff. So yeah, it's crazy. So you feel it's way more uh, prevalent over here than it is over there? Oh yeah. Um, well, with us, we tend to have a lot of our best riders and up and coming stuff, they go overseas. So uh, we, we have a good amount of really fast riders, but a very small number, if that makes sense kind of thing. So it's kind of a case of, I noticed when I came over here where the separate regions is like, it's literally the CCS Midwest region is pretty much the size of the entire of South Africa's Subak scene. It is crazy. Yeah. And it's, it's actually awesome. really interesting because uh, I, I race supermoto a lot. That, that's where I started racing was on supermoto. And we have a supermoto series at home, which is actually getting bigger than our nationals at home. It, it's it, because the things are bulletproof and a lot of guys have realized, Hey, that's great training and stuff. So with that, we're getting a bigger influence. We're getting more people in because it's a lot more cost effective to buy a YZ450 than it is to buy a ZX10. Sure. And uh, with that, it's growing. Like I've noticed since we've left, apparently the series has doubled, but we're still very small compared to over here. Yeah. You know, um, I've just recently got into, um, the supermoto myself and i found the smiles to dollar ratio is off the charts people don't realize how cheap it is oh, i mean not only is the machine cheaper but um your operating cost per weekend per per time that you use it is significantly lower um you go through tires i mean i haven't changed a tire yet on a supermoto although i didn't <laughs> own it you know but uh on the road racing you could use 
a set, a weekend. A lot of guys use two rears and a front. Um, mm -hmm. If you're trying to be really competitive and you might have, you know, six or uh, six events a day, if you're doing like all the classes, then uh, it depends how many tires you want to use, you know, because after a while, you're not going to be able to push like those yeah, other exactly. guys and you're just out there riding and not like racing anymore. You're just trying not to crash. Mm -hmm. I mean, that, I mean, if I'm being honest, if it wasn't for Supermoto, I wouldn't be road racing. It's it was kind of a case of at home that the world was so small and where we had it's actually like a really long story. I was doing endurance racing uh, off road in South Africa. Uh, I went through two races of hell and I decided no, I can't do this anymore. And we figured, well, we just bought these endurance racing bikes because off roads massive in South Africa. And we were like, well, what are we going to do with them? Because it's like brand new KTM's. And then we, uh, one of our friends, he raced in the Supermoto series. He's like, hey, well, come check it out. And the bug bit with us, and it was actually really crazy. We, we found like whatever wheels we had lying around, we just shoved them into the box. And ever since like that that first day, I went riding with it. It, it was kind of chaos. I crashed multiple times, you know, being on the top for the first time. But ever since that day, it's just been my biggest form of racing. Uh, I moved over here and the, this thing is very much overtaking that, but uh, it's the best form of training. It's the best way of, because I feel like a YZ450 or any 450 on a go-kart track feels exactly the same as like a super bike on a big track. You get the same yeah, G-forces, yeah. the same knee down, the same drift in. It's, it's such an awesome training bike. And in America, it's not like at home where we pay like the equivalent of $50 and we can race our ZX10s on the track for the weekend. Yeah, over yeah. here it's a little bit different. So finding that practice time, it's really hard, and we're just so happy we found one of the uh, track nearby that allows us to ride the supermotos, and that's really been helping me build up to get up to pace over here. You know, for sure. And it's a whole different riding style. Are you a, a foot out guy, or do you take the road racing knee knee down? Uh, I'm a knee down guy. Yeah. Uh, I, the second I got my knee down for the first time, I, I, there's no way in hell I'm putting my leg out. It's just too fun to drag me. Now, what about in the dirt? Do you put your foot out for the dirt? Um, we just, uh, we pretend the dirt's not there. We just don't do it. <laughs> we just don't do it. <laughs> I gotcha. Um, and then uh, are there jumps at these courses as well? Well, what we tend to do is we make the go-kart track pretty much just ride the go-kart track. We don't really include the dirt sections. Okay. Um, Mainly because I've ridden a motocross track about four times in my life. And of the four, three of them I smashed my face in. So, you know, we're going to avoid the dirt at all costs. And uh, at home as well, the guys just decided we ain't going to touch the dirt. These bikes are too nice to do that. So I, I never knew that there was dirt sections in Supermoto until we moved here. So uh, that's we, uh, Motard then, right? Yeah. Yeah, pretty much. Yeah. Uh, there's actually, we race a lot. There's a series up in Road America, which is a supermoto series that they run on their go-kart track. And it's actually picking up like hell. It's the series has grown a lot and they, they are getting like full on camera crews in on it now. It's, it's going to be really cool. And uh, there as well, it's pretty much a case of you could choose leg outs or knee down, but there's no dirt on the track. Okay. So, which makes it, it's a lot of guys are saying it's, it makes it very difficult because they set up their bikes to have the dirt, but you know, coming back over here, they just change it all up. And that track is, it's crazy. <laughs> Once you start going fast on it with a knee down, it's so technical. But again, it, it helps out with this thing. Like riding Supermoto for 10 minutes on that, on that track, it feels like I can do a two-hour stint on one of these things. It's so much more technical. Yeah, you know, um, I did Supermoto, uh, both Motars, so pavement only and mix, 
and uh, I'm great on the pavement. Comes to the dirt, I'm like, I don't know what the hell I'm doing. Just go by me. Like, just don't worry about me. I'm, I'm on the inside, you know, go around. I don't around. know how you can trust that. I mean, how can you trust slick tires on dirt? Like, what the hell? I fell over three times, um, and it was no issue. Like, I, there was no injury. I was going, like, two miles an hour both times. I, I washed out the front. And then one time I lost the rear right after the dirt section. I was like, oh, well, I got on it too hard and my tire wasn't clean yet. So, oh, like, and there was a quite a big jump. And uh, I mean, there's like a step down and then the step up. And then yeah. I don't know what you call it, like a kicker after that. Um, so it was pretty cool. I, like I had never been on a motocross track in my life. I have been on oh, a no. dirt bike a handful of times at my cousin's uh, place up north on his IT-175 you know, like 1975 dirt bike. So never anything modern. Um, Fantastic. So uh, I borrowed my buddy's bike. He runs the track day organization, Great Lakes Supermoto, Will Wildner. And he oh, invited nice. me out to Auto City Speedway in uh, Clio, Michigan, north of, in like Flint, just north of Flint, I think. And uh, it was a blast. I'd do it again for sure. Um, and now they do a lot of the indoor 50cc riding. So they got 50cc's, 88 uh, big bore kits um, yeah, yeah, yeah. on these uh, indoor cart track a couple miles from my house. And they, uh, I mean, 50, maybe 100 people show up for these events and uh, be riding. And there's timing and scorings and there's it's racing. And there's, just, there's a two-hour endurance race uh, that just happened yeah, uh, yesterday, Sunday. Freaking, oh, that's yeah, crazy. Um, I saw that I saw a picture of that a while ago and I'm like, oh man, I need to get in on that. I really want to do that because oh dear God, Windsor is hell <laughs> with the lack of riding, you know. I mean, we're really lucky. We actually have a motocross track that's about 45 minutes away. It's an indoor track. And it's like really becoming like my plan B kind of thing. I, I swore I never touched the dirt again, but sitting up here, this is gonna be our, our third winter, I think. And I just <laughs> That dirt is kind of looking appealing after sitting inside for quite a while. But uh, we tend to do a lot of trips down south, uh, again, also with Supermoto. Uh, we're actually next weekend, we're going to a track called uh, Bushnell Motorsports Park. I've heard it's, of it. Uh, yeah, it's in central Florida. And uh, a lot of the big guys have gone there. I actually heard about it by watching Instagrams from like Ashton Yates and stuff like that. But uh, it's now become like a, a yearly pilgrimage for us. Me and my dad, we go heading down there. It's a really awesome track. That sounds like a blast. And, you know, still talking about the Supermoto a little bit, um, if you wanted to get into it, you could buy a brand new Honda CRF, which is, I guess, the preferred chassis. That's what nearly everybody is on um, mm -hmm. for this particular uh, racing series. And everybody's on that bike. And a brand new one, 1600 bucks off the showroom floor. Um, you just need a couple, a new set of tires from going from the knobbies to the slicks and maybe a different set of bars if you want to do that for your ergonomics. But... That's yeah. really all people do. I mean, you can upgrade a lot of stuff, but sure. just to get on the track and to get into it, say two grand. And then I think his events are about 70 bucks for like a track day or something for an entire, sure. when I did the track day up at uh, Auto City, it was $70 yeah. for the entire day. And that's like, not, not a full day. It's not like eight to five, but it was like 10 or 11 to five. Yeah. Which was plenty of time. Yeah, uh, that's, uh, you're, you're tired by that time. You're not exactly asking for more track time. Yeah, so, uh, and they didn't have group sessions. Um, it was kind of like a free-for-all. Like, mm -hmm. there was a novice, intermediate, advanced, which I liked because it wasn't a huge crowd, maybe 100, less than 100 people, probably. And, you know, not everybody's on track at the same time. 
um, people are in the pits and working on their bikes and, you know, exactly. Yeah. Having fun. So, you know, there'd be uh, children out there like five, six year old uh, and I'm out there and like, you just be respectful. You're going to get by them and no problem. It's not like you're going to hold you yeah. up for more than two seconds. So, uh, yeah, exactly. And then that, you that, just, for a while, I was like, you know, follow me. I'm going to show you around. I want to show you the line. And then I'm having fun working with this kid. I don't even know. Well, yeah, that, that, that's the crazy thing. I mean, like when I first rocked up, it was, it was my very first day. And in South Africa, we were, it was on a public holiday and we were kind of like, okay, well, let's hope no one's there. Let's, let's hope we have the whole track to ourselves or we'll figure it out. And we decided that day was the day that everyone and their twice removed cousin was riding a supermoto. There was like 50 guys on track. It was crazy. And uh, I'll never forget, I, I bailed quite a lot. My suspension was still set up for the dirts. I had a high-rise bars, so I looked like I was riding a GS around there. It was absolutely crazy. And then uh, I'll never forget when I was riding there, the national guys were there for uh, the magazine to do uh, a photo shoot to promote the series. And I went into the turn at the end of the back straight and I'm breaking my normal points, which at this point, these guys are like breaking way after me. And I just remember the guy coming up the inside of me, drifting it like hell. And like, oh shit. So I move over. Then another guy comes around the outside of me, drifting it like hell. And then another guy comes breaking next to me, giving me a thumbs up. And I'm like, oh, okay. So we, <laughs> it was like the biggest problem. But as I pull into the pits, everyone just comes up to me and like, okay, well, listen, we're riding behind you. We see you here for the first time. Try this with your suspension. Try doing this, go on this line, follow this guy, he'll help you out kind of thing. It's it's so much more of a relaxed vibe, which is yeah. what I really enjoy. And and again, if it wasn't for that, I I wouldn't be in the road racing scene, you know. And nobody's asking for you, you for like a hundred dollars. Okay, I gave you that advice. Now where's a hundred bucks? Exactly. Yeah, no, it's like it's it costs a hundred days to get in the gates. So a yeah. hundred bucks to get in the gates. So I mean everyone's just kind of free free balling and it's really awesome. I really enjoy it. Yeah, it's everybody's trying to help themselves and help other people and learn as you go. And um, it's just a cool environment. I've never been to that Bushnell track, but uh, I'm actually leaving Thursday for Daytona. I'll be working the ARMA event for uh, the, the high oh, banking nice. at Daytona coming up uh, this weekend. Yeah, that's going to be freaking awesome. I actually, yeah, we um, only, I, I only did one ARMA event. I was hoping to do more. But uh, yeah, that's a freaking awesome series. Uh, like their the big event down in uh, Barber. Yeah, oh, that's crazy. I thought that was the most fest. amazing thing. Yeah, yeah that is crazy. And uh, I, this will be my first event with Arma. Um, I've never worked at Arma event or been to an Arma event, but actually uh, many episodes ago, I podcasted with the chairman of the board, Arthur Cowitz, and that was pretty cool. Yeah, that sounds wow. sick. Yeah, so just trying to talk to all sorts of people, whether they're racers. I mean, he's still riding and racing. He's he's up there in age, and that's, that's awesome to see that. I, I hope to be that person one day. Yeah, exactly. And that's what my dad always said. I mean, I mean, this bike is my dad's. It's, it's his ZX-7. It's his race bike. And uh, he, he's said to multiple people, he, he's, he's done racing. He's, he did that whole thing in South Africa. He's done with that. But he said, to this day, until I physically cannot do it anymore, I will be riding a bike. <laughs> and he, every weekend, like, we have our supermotos. I have one, and he has one exactly the same spec next to it. And he's yeah. out there every weekend with me kind of thing. It's crazy. So tell me about uh, his history a little bit. I'm sure that's how you got into it. Um, your dad probably helped you out and is, is still riding and, and racing with you. Yeah, it, that, that's crazy. So my, my dad has been involved forever in box. Uh, I think he started when he was like seven years old. You know, he, he's really been, he just, the bug instantly bit. And I think it was also from my grandfather. Uh, my grandfather used to also race motorcycles back in South Africa. 
the three so, generations. Yeah, exactly. So then my, my dad came along on the scene and it, it just instantly bit him and he's just been going with it. He, he had a lot of like other stuff come along. So like when I was about eight years old or around there kind of thing, uh, we got hectic into cycling and that's where I thought I was going to be. I thought I was going to be the next professional cyclist <laughs> coming along. But uh, my dad was involved with bikes for so long that when he tried to go away from it, he just kept coming back to it. And uh, he actually got back into the game on a Laverda 750. Okay. In South Africa. It was a beautiful bike. And uh, I was throwing my toys, like, how the hell can you do this to me? I, I want to be a professional cyclist. And then he said to me, if you stop complaining for like 10 minutes, maybe I'll buy you a bike too. And then all of a sudden, all of that just went out the window. I didn't care about cycling or anything like that again. Uh, and he told me how to ride. It was really cool. And I know that he really wanted me to get into it because he was doing track days as well, all the time, racing, going around all the other guys at the tracks. And he, he, his biggest thing is he wants to have the most beautiful bike there, you know, which is a big issue with me because I tend to, you know, crash every now and then. And it's, it's always a big wall between us. Like, how the hell could you do this? But we, we tend to get okay with each other. And the second I started really getting into it and started racing, that's when he decides to pull out. Like, I don't want to go into the racing world. I want to focus mainly on me, uh, which I really appreciated. And uh, yeah, pretty much to this day, we're not really doing that much track days anymore because around by us, we're still trying to get our bearings. You know, we, we, we got uh, the racing world together. We know what we're doing over here, but we still track days and stuff like that. We're still trying to figure out. And with the season that we have between supermoto racing and CCS racing, we barely have any time on the weekends. So it's actually like this off season is like my dad's rest. He's like working like hell because the team is really just me, my dad, and a can do attitude. So he's like working like hell. I'm always so depressed when winter comes around, but my dad's just like, oh, finally, it's over for a little bit. Rest and recovery yeah, exactly. and maybe uh, plans uh, developing for next year type of thing. So next year, our idea is get more experience on this bike. I mean, I only have about, I think I've ridden this bike a sum total of nine times now. Okay. Now, I, I'm still pretty new on it. I'm getting pretty comfortable on it. Like at Blackhawk, I'm getting down to the low, like 112s. I'm feeling okay with it. Uh, it's just, my aim of the game is, ever since we first moved here, is to race in Moto America. I really want to be there. That is my ultimate goal is to race in uh, Moto America because overseas it's actually it's it's kind of massive i mean um everyone in south africa knows about it a lot of guys in europe know about it i know that it's being promoted like hell over there as well so it's kind of a case of we need to get ourselves together um mainly with me getting experience but also because me and my dad were so new to this game the, this bike i raced 400s last year and it, we knew how to get that working we had a general idea and we were like ah oh, well you know it's just a slightly bigger bike it'll be a little bit different it's really different. So we, we want to get a little bit more experience and figure that out. And then hopefully maybe do a couple of wildcard races in Moto America. I'm hoping to do, there's a few tracks I know really well. And that's something that we're also stressing about, you know, is the lack of track times on, around here. We haven't done much traveling, but uh, yeah, I definitely want to be there. That's my overall goal is to be in the, that series. And so uh, I would assume all these tracks are fairly new to you. Um, are you doing anything as far as like playing them on a simulator, whether even if it's in a car sim, uh, you can still learn the tracks that way. Are you doing anything like that? That's so, like you said, I know nothing. I, I have absolutely zero reference on these tracks. And 
that was my biggest worry with Moto America is the fact that you don't have so much practice time to learn. And I tend to have one to have as much as I can. Uh, but what I tend to do is if I'm ever going to a new track, like uh, in November, I went to um, uh, Barber to go just do a track day and everything. And I make sure that every new track I go to, I try and find a video on YouTube of uh, one of the guys riding around there. Like, uh, for instance, um, I had a good video with Heron running around there. And I just I studied that while I'm doing gym uh, or doing cardio. I got on the screen and I just watched that video on repeat for like an hour. So yeah. I try and I at least got that layout. I can hear where he breaks. I can hear where he accelerates. And it does help me get an idea. I kind of have a general idea of what's going on. For sure. Yeah, there's a lot of different methods to uh, to help learn a track. But in a pro race, you have only a couple of sessions. You got practice, qualify, qualify, race. You know, it's mm -hmm. pretty quick. Yeah, it's to me that that is something crazy. I mean, I'm kind of getting used to it. Back home in South Africa, we had it very differently. Um, especially in the supermoto series because we had a lot of guys we had like the full fridays like a free practice and then like the uh the saturday you have free practices in the morning and then qualifying and then one race like the world superbike kind of thing yeah and then uh we rocked up over here and it's like kind of hit the ground running and go with it it, it was a big shock to my system because I, I i tend to really rely on my confidence is knowing that okay i know what's going on around here and I, at the beginning, I was very much like, whoa, what the hell? And then also to be translated from uh, my South African short circuit racing, like go-kart racing to like these big circuits, that was a massive adjustment in my mind as well. Yeah. So uh, it kind of did like everything hit me at once, but I, I was lucky. I'm, I'm not getting really comfortable with it. I'm learning how to deal with all those kind of situations, especially, you know, with this thing, you get guys that come flying past you like hell. And like you sit on them and you check, my, my line and everything is not that different, but there's so many little things that these things need that the, the other bikes you can kind of get away with. Like uh, on the 400, I, I, I'm a little bit bigger, you know, I'm not, I'm not such a smaller guy. So I'm able to pull that 400 around. And if I'm offline, you can just pull it back in. This thing, I, the second I got on it, I, I didn't know what to do because it, it like, once it's in that spot, it's stuck. It ain't yeah. moving kind of thing. That was a massive adjustment in my head as well. But it, it is really cool. I'm starting to figure it out the more and more I ride. I think it's just seat time, you know, trying to figure out more and more time on the bike. For sure. And uh, what do you think is uh, maybe some of the benefits or downsides of the Yamaha versus the Cowie? Because they're both like the number one and two bikes. I mean, there's the KTM, you know, mm -hmm. you got some other bikes in there, but um, those are, seem to be the, the main one too. So personally, I've, I've ridden both. I've, I've felt both. I definitely love the Yamaha because it just, it handles so nicely. It really does feel a lot more, I get more confidence when I throw it into a turn. Uh, I tended to find, I don't know if it was just our setup and everything, but on the on the ZX, I did find it, it felt a little bit squirrely and then a little bit like chattery, but it's fine, it's whatever. I, like I said, I don't have much experience on that one. I have mostly on the Yamaha. But the thing I do notice when I race against other Kawasaki is, is those things have got power. <laughs> They've got a little bit more power on me and, I noticed that if I get a good drive, I can hold it. I can deal with them, but you've got to really push out of that turn to make sure you can latch on the back. Cause if you don't, these things really pull away from you. So yeah, that, that's my main difference from what I can see. You know, and also it seems like there's maybe more of a support system for Yamaha and Moto America than there is Kawasaki. So maybe that's why a lot of people tend to ride Yamahas. Hmm. I think, yeah, I do agree with that. I think also it's because the, the Yamaha has been pretty dominant in the series like around the world as well 
Uh, I don't know why they stopped selling them. Like, that was the weirdest thing to me. Yeah, no more I mean, R6. Yeah, like, <laughs> like what the hell? It's such a nice bike. What the hell? But uh, I do know that you can still buy that uh, GYTR edition, which is pretty cool. So at least they, they're still selling it, but I know that it's eventually going to run out. They're just selling old stock that they made. So that, that's something that I'm worried about. But the backing that you have with both this and the Kawasaki is amazing. When I rocked up at the track, for the first time with this thing because I think we rocked up at the second last race of CCS. The guys can walk up to you and it's like, whatever you need, whatever you are worried, whatever you're feeling, everyone knows what to do about it because these things have been raced for so long that they know exactly what little things need to be done to make it work kind of thing. And that is very helpful. It really did help me get more comfortable with it really fast. And so uh, what tracks have you hit so far? Okay, so, so far I've hit uh, Blackhawk, uh, I hit Road America, Road America I've only done on a 400, which it feels like a highway, good <laughs> God, um, I've done Road America, I've done Autobahn, I've done Barber, uh, I've done Gingerman, Gingerman is also really cool, I, I've, yeah, I've done a lot of also short, short circuit tracks, so I've done Bushnell, there's a track right by us at 61 Cardway, I've done Road America's uh, go-kart track, uh, I really want to bring up that number. I want to go check out all the other places, at least do more Moto America focused tracks like VIR and all that kind of stuff, New Jersey and stuff like that. Yeah, I'd love to do uh, Brainerd and Laguna Seca, um, The Ridge, um, oh. even Sonoma, even though it's not in the calendar. It might come back. I hope it does at some point. But, you yeah, know, there's yeah, actually, yeah, there's, I don't know, but there's an opportunity to uh, to do a, a race event at Laguna Seca for an amateur race organization. If you're interested, and there's even um, you can rent bikes out there, so you don't necessarily have to drive. Sure, that'd be crazy because that that's the one thing that scares us away. I mean, South Africa is a really small country. I mean, compared to well, we thought it was big, but compared to America, it's tiny. I we were always complaining about like having to drive to our track that was like an hour away. Now it's like your closest one is an hour and a half. Yep. So when we see California, it's like in a whole other continent to us. It's so freaking far, but I would love to go racing there. I just know that over there, it's pretty big and it is open for a large amount of the year. I, I would definitely love to go try something out there. Shit, I didn't know about that. Yeah, um, I did a podcast with a guy who owns Track Days, uh, Track Day company out there in California. And he also runs CRA, which is um, California Racing Association out there. And uh, they're, it's like the first time they're going to Laguna uh, Seca for a pro race in like 40 years. I'm sorry, for an amateur race. Um, so the amateurs don't usually get to race there because I'm sure the track is so expensive, you know? Oh, I couldn't imagine. There's and a, also, isn't there like a noise restriction or something yeah, like that around there as well? Decibel noise restriction. I, I don't know what the number is, maybe 108 or less decibels. So you got to have uh, inserts in your exhaust um which might make it a little bit slower but i mean you got to race to the conditions right i mean exactly if you can ride the gunaseka I'll, I'll do anything to ride on that track freaking hell yeah. so uh yeah i think that was like episode 70 or so with dustin coiner all right go sweet i'll go check that out and uh i would also love to interview the guys who actually rent those bikes i think it's ride like a pro is the name of the company and they rent out bikes for track days and racing and i think there's uh there are other companies out there. I want to say Bobblehead Moto does it too. Um, but uh, yeah, there's a couple of companies who rent bikes for, for racing purposes. So you, you can find them out there. 
Yeah, that's the crazy thing is I would actually really enjoy to do that if they if they have something going like during the off season. That'd be that'd be freaking awesome. Well, they that'd race really all cool. the time. They're racing in February, January out in California. I mean, they're racing um, like next next week in Florida. So uh, yeah, damn. So, I mean, they're racing quite uh, quite a bit of the season below the snow belt, and uh, that's one of the reasons why I want to move. I live in Michigan, uh, and it's snowing here, and it's cold all the time. So I'm like, I want to move somewhere where it's not cold, where I don't have to put on, you know, a hoodie and two long sleeve shirts and boots just to mm-hmm. feel my toes. Yeah, exactly. I know exactly how you feel when we. I mean, bear in mind the coldest in South Africa in Fahrenheit is probably going to be like. 40 35 that's the coldest we get it's like kind of a case of you ride all year you just rock up to the track a little bit later just so it warms up a little bit and we moved here and it's like during the winter everything shuts down I'm like why why are you shutting down it's like that's give it like a month you'll, you'll see why you'll see yeah. why holy freaking crap jeez that's <laughs> <was> like hell <laughs> yeah it's a different world you know i was just looking on uh national disaster deaths by state to figure out where to live and uh and michigan is uh the, most people die in Michigan or in this area from the cold. They die from oh. cold. It's a real thing. You know, if you're my, my buddy, uh, Skyler, Skyler Kopp, who recommended me to talk to you, um, yeah. he's in Virginia right now. They just lost power. So he's he's working on a generator, you know, keeping things warm that way. But it's like, man, if you don't have a generator, you don't have power, and you could that could be a really bad situation. Yeah, a little bit freaking out. I mean... We, we used to have that because in South Africa, we have load shading. So uh, the power goes out quite a lot. And we're used to running off generators. But even in our climate, with hardly any bad weather, without it, without power, it sucks. So yeah. I can imagine over here, freaking hell. And uh, where are you located again? Uh, I'm currently in Chicago. Chicago uh, it's pretty cold, not too far away from me. Yeah, no, it, it's freezing. In, in, my, in my standards, this is freezing. This is hell. <laughs> My brother lived in Minnesota for a couple of years, and I think at one point, at like peak coldest temperature was negative 50 degrees Fahrenheit. You see, the crazy thing to me is I didn't even think it was possible to get that cold. I genuinely thought like anything below negative two could like only be man-made. I didn't think it was actually possible. (laughs) Yeah, it's uh, it's from another world, and uh, it's crazy, but... uh, uh, is there anything on your mind you wanted to talk about today? I see you have uh, bison on your shirt. Oh, yeah. Well, uh, that was actually a really cool thing. So when we first moved here, um, of course, I'm still trying to figure out a lot of the, the lay of the land. And my one thing in my in my bucket list was like, I, I need to have a custom suit. Do you, you are a professional racer when you have a custom suit. That's, that's the cool thing to me. And uh, at home, it wasn't really an option. And uh, we moved over here. We went to our first CCS race and uh, we met uh, Boston Racing and they, they were just the coolest and friendliest guys. And I didn't actually know that they they made suits until I actually went to the trailer and saw it. Up until then, they were just normal, cool guys. And they've been involved with me for what, like when I first arrived, every single race they were there, they were checking in on us, seeing how we're doing, just being really cool guys. And they were like, hey man, would you like want to be part of our program and join our system kind of thing? And I was like, yeah, damn straight up, dude. That sounds freaking awesome. So uh, we talked about our whole contract and everything. And I got their first suits and I felt like I made it. I've peaked. This is the best thing ever kind of thing. And 
we just been involved with them ever since because they're just the really the coolest guys. They uh, they've they're growing like hell as well. I've seen them like popping up everywhere on a lot of the guys, and and the quality as well is just amazing. Especially with me, I mean, I recently upgraded to a YZ450 and uh, the Supermoto, and I'm like, I don't like to admit it, but I was still learning that bike and trying to push the limits as much as I could. And over a five day weekend, like five track days, I've crashed like four times. <laughs> I was really baiting like hell on that bike, trying to push it as far as I could. And that suit felt nothing. <laughs> yeah, I was genuinely amazed at that because uh, the suits I had in South Africa, it, it got banged up like hell because um, a lot of the guys, they're, they're really close races. Yeah. Uh, it, it's definitely something that I had to adapt when I first moved here, actually, was the, I'm so used to having like tire marks on my thighs because guys ram into you and like slamming your head in the foot peg when you flip it over. When I came over here, I, I did my like late and aggressive braking and all that kind of stuff because that, that's just how I used to race. And I was getting into trouble with quite a lot of the guys on the track actually because they're like, freaking hell, dude, you want to calm it down a little bit. Yeah. And then it, it's, it's still something that I'm working on. I'm still trying to be careful about, especially on this thing. Jesus Christ, it's, it's terrifying diving, guys. I'm, I'm still like, a little bit hesitant with it but uh once i got here and i got that suit figured out and i tried on the actual bus and suit I, again i got into close quarter racing on supermoto and the guys bashing into your tires on you and all that kind of stuff and when my other suit just got torn to hell this thing actually dealt with it pretty well uh, i was really happy speed, with how it turned out pretty high speed crashes uh i've had a couple <laughs> i've had a couple uh i think my worst one today would actually be on this bike i i was i was being stupid i was being really stupid it was uh, uh it was actually quite a fluke how we got this thing i was racing on a sv in the beginning of the year uh, to get into the twins bike race or series and everything and we were we were doing developments and building it and it, it had so many issues it had like weird problems and all that kind of stuff and when we eventually got it running it just wasn't competitive uh it was it was a a lot more stock than we thought it was and at autobahn i was able to run within like a second of jody barry so i was pretty happy with that but i was like second like second last because i had no acceleration on the straights so i had to make it all up on the the braking zone so we we quickly got rid of that bike and uh, i got back onto my 400 and i just i carried on racing through the series of the 400 and we we're like ah well at the end of the year we'll maybe buy a, a new r7 or something like that and uh, at the second last round of the CCS Midwest region, uh, there was a guy who had this bike uh, sitting in the pits and it had a for sale sign on it. And I was like, oh, that's a really nice thing. So we were walking around and we we're talking to him. And uh, me being stupid, I was like, would you consider a trade? And I was offered my 400. And he was like, yeah, sure, I'll take it. And I, I was hit like, whoa, what the hell? What do you <laughs> just do, right? a yeah, who trades a 400 for a 600? But once I learned his story, I learned that he actually wants to be in that series and everything. So I hopped on this thing the very next day. Uh, we did the Friday practice. So it was basically Saturday. We had two warm-up sessions and then we're going racing after I haven't ridden it at all. So no pressure. Yeah. But uh, I, I went out there and I was, oh, I didn't even put the lap timer on. I just had to learn the bike. And first session was great. Uh, second session, I, I started getting more comfortable with it. But the second is my mind flipped into 400 mode so i came out last turn at blackhawk i went down the straight you know changing up changing up changing up and normally on this bike you want to break 
pretty reasonably. And I braked on this thing where I brake on my 400, which is after the one board. Oh no. I, I grabbed the lever, the back stood up and I was like, yeah, I'm not going to make this one. <laughs> I'm just going to have to lay it down. So I went off the grass onto the grass and I just dropped the bike. I remember the bike stopped and I just flew off as far as I could. And so I literally bounced against the tire wall at the end there and came back to it. it, it I felt it. I felt real groggy after that, but like it felt like I had to run like 5Ks to get back to that bike. I didn't know how far I slid on that thing. It was crazy. Quite a ways usually, you know, when you get separated like that, um, a lot of times your bike goes further because it's a bigger mass, but it can get caught on things. It depends. Exactly. I mean, that that's the crazy thing is I'm used to uh, our tracks in uh, South Africa. We're a little bit more uh, like the Euro spec. So we have a lot of the kitty litter around all of our turns. And over here, it's like just this beautiful tar and it's got like the cool rumble strips and this amazing grass yeah. and like nothing else. <laughs> and I was like, what the hell? When you hit that thing, you just end up accelerating <laughs> instead of stopping. It was absolutely crazy to us. But in that moment, I did actually feel it freaking flying along. Jeez. So, yeah, that's uh, it's one topic of debate that people, uh, I don't know, some people want more runoff because then you would probably not have crashed. Mm. But... If there's more runoff, then people make more dangerous passes because then you're like, well, my friend's not going to die. He's not going to crash. He's just going to run wide and then he'll be pissed off at me. And he'll probably do the same thing to me in turn three, you know? So like it, it, it does create problems. And then you got track limits issues where like, well, who's going to, in an amateur race, there's no technology. You can't put sensors in the track at Blackhawk. You know, that's never going to happen. Um, so you have to do go by race control and race control doesn't have video cameras of every single inch of the tarmac. So how do you police that? It's like a, it's a technological problem in a way. And, uh, but my end is uh, I want more runoff because at the end of the day, it saves riders money. It saves riders lives and health. And uh, you can race for cheaper. I mean, think about the cost at like a MotoGP event for say. If they were to pave another 50 feet on the outside of both sides of the track, that's a lot of space. You probably wouldn't need much more than 50 feet. If you did, you got it really, really wrong. So yeah, yeah, the yeah. cost of paving that would be a lot of money. But mm -hmm. the cost of one MotoGP event of the crash damage that would be saved would, would pay for it in one event, right? Exactly. That, that's the crazy thing. I mean... I can kind of, I see where you're coming from with that. I really do. But I mean, just speaking purely as a, a privateer, self-funded racer, it would be so much more beneficial. I mean, I've heard stories of these guys, like one of the guys, he races in R6. Uh, it rained the night before that he was going out there and he was riding around, he was doing pretty good. And then he, of course, crashed. And he said that with the mud build up and everything, it actually snapped his swing off. Oh, wow. the, the way it just, it just broke everything when it hit it. And like you said, it would be if there was just a slight bit of extra runoff, you wouldn't have had that situation. You would have been out for the next two races, you know? Right. But then there's the, you know, the original guys or the old school folks who would say, you know, there's track limits for a reason. You got to race to the track. And if you go off, there has to be consequences. Now, I don't, I don't like the has to be consequences part. I <laughs> exactly. think you can, ha you can have it be better than that. Um, but, uh, but I get it, you know, it's, it's more ballsy if there's no runoff and you're making that pass, it has to stick or you're going off. Mm -hmm. Yeah, that, that, that's, 
that's definitely something that I have to agree. It's kind of a case of, I would, I understand consequences, but I would prefer to have like a, oh, damn, I ran slightly wide than to have to pick my bike up out of grass yeah. kind of thing. I mean, it, it wouldn't, in my personal opinion, I don't think it would make you that much of a, like, where you got to stick to track limits because the fastest line is always going to be on the track, you know? Right. You, you, you make a certain rule and everything, but it's, it's always going to be on the track. If you end up going out there, there's a reason why you're out there. It's not because you want to be out there. Right. Or then, I don't know if you follow Formula One, but the controversial uh, last race of the season where there's, you know, Lewis uh, exceeded track limits. And when Max passed him that first time in the tight chicane, he just decided, I'm going to go straight. I'll just skip the corner you know, and uh, I'll just give up the time later. So there's issues with that, you know, but everybody's got their opinions. I I get that. I mean, personally, I I don't see that. I mean, I also seen how MotoGP, it's just, it's becoming really stupid, like way overboard. How you see basically the edge of his tires hanging over the edge of the rumble strip and all of a sudden his laps cancel. It's like, you got to call a line somewhere, mate. It, it, It wasn't that bad. And especially like in battle situations, especially like with the Moto3 guys, that those guys, are they, it's anarchy in that freaking class. And when you get pushed wide, that guy, you can't have his lap canceled. He was pushed out. I mean, you can't really count that one kind of thing. It's, it, it is a weird game to kind of watch. Me and my dad have watched the whole MoGP thing and see them, oh, no, he's lap canceled because he exceeds limits. We're always like, what the hell? Seriously? Yeah. Yeah. yeah, it's uh, it's hard because the la- if on the last lap they exceed track limits and go into the green paint by one millimeter or you know a feather's distance, just nothing. Um, yeah, they get demoted one position, which is demoralizing. It's your first victory, or you got a podium, or whatever place it is. It doesn't matter, but it's like oh, especially damn. because like, how has that benefited it? Right. If he's barely hung over the edge, how has that in any way benefited his lap time to get more of a jump on someone else? So. Well, I don't know what the solution is. I'm just talking about it. <laughs> no, no, I, I get you. I get you completely. It, I definitely, I, I agree with you in that sense. I also agree. With, I, I'm, I'm just, I'm used to running with Kitsilitsa, rumble strips, uh, runoff, all that kind of stuff. So like when I came here, Blackhawk feels like I'm riding through the forest kind of thing. It, it feels absolutely crazy. And, and I think that's also where I would really dig to be at like a, uh, Laguna Seca or something like that where it has that kind of stuff again it would be really cool it's it is crazy to me how like Road America has some and has and doesn't have some like turn one and Road America has got that massive runoff on the side yeah that, like you can understand why that's the big overtaking spot because you can just you can push them out it doesn't matter if you're on this this tar there you'll get back in and it doesn't matter yeah I, I see but then I see again what those guys are saying you can do stupid moves like that because you know it'll be fine so yeah, that's a hard topic to cover. <laughs> it's tricky, but uh, I'm just here to talk about it, not to uh, make any any real opinions. I'm just ha- having fun talking to people. Yeah, I fully agree with that. I, again, I'm I'm just the racer. You know, yeah. I just do what race coordination says. I can't exactly have an opinion on that. Sure. And, uh, you know, I guess I'm becoming not race direction yet, but uh, I'm working for, for racing and working for um, – race series like i've worked for wera and ccs and moto america so far going to be working arma in the next couple of days here nice. uh, so just doing flagging and communication at the side of the track uh if someone were to fall down i'm out there running picking up bikes mm-hmm. or displaying the flags you know yellow flag yellow red flag what and so on um so it's just uh 
I like being there and it's not the best paying job, but it's, it's cool. It's a cool job. And, uh, I like being around racing and, uh, you know, I'd rather be out there riding myself, but, uh, this is one way I could still be involved in the sport right now. Yeah. Sure. Thanks, man. I actually really appreciate that. Yeah. That, and, that's uh, something like... Go ahead. Yeah. Yeah. No, that's just something that like, I don't think you've really seen that much. You know, a lot of, a lot of these guys that like risk their, uh, their weekends having to watch us ride around the track. I actually really appreciate that, mate. That's really cool. Yeah, it's, it's great. I would recommend it to anybody who likes racing. I mean, maybe not, you're not going to do it for a full-time thing, but you could always step in if needed or um, to just to see the sport from another angle. It's pretty mm -hmm. eye-opening. Um, I've never, like as a racer, I'm probably, I'm pretty sure most racers haven't heard the radio communication that goes on between race control and the corner workers. Um, and so some of it's a little funny banter here and there but for the most part it's extremely concise you should say like five words to get your message across no more like control three um you know turn three to control and then say what happened your incident rider down riders up uh, on and off he's continued and you know whatever the situation is um or um, need to shut it down. Rider is not unresponsive. He's not moving. Uh, mm -hmm. We need we need a crimson flag. You never say red. There's like certain words you're not supposed to say because only the race director says red flag. Because oh, if, if somebody says, oh, the guy in the red bikes, another corner station is hearing that. Everybody's hearing the same communication. So mm -hmm. another corner station might think, oh, they said red flag. So then the red flag would be shown and it'd be a disaster. So, okay, I see that. I see that. Yeah, yeah. yeah there's certain things you never say. Um, you're not supposed to say writers' names. Are they supposed to use numbers? Because yeah. if a local news organization heard it and the writer had a bad injury, they could broadcast that to the news station, and you don't want that data to get out. Um, yeah. Everything's supposed to be super shut down. You don't post on social media like this guy just crashed. He's in an ambulance. Like you don't do that kind of stuff. Yeah. You know? Um, I get that. I get you gotta that. respect the privacy, and if it's a professional race, there's you could be on camera, so don't be picking your nose. You know, you gotta be aware of what's going on. Don't be yeah, sitting yeah. down. You can't sit down when you're when uh, bikes are on track. That's the hardest part about it. Is just you have to stand pretty much the entire time sure. um, for like eight to ten hours a day. You know, mm -hmm. and sometimes um, like there's certain corners that have no shade and do not allow. Uh, canopies so you're just standing out there and baking hot 100 degree weather with no shade um, yeah. that sucks <laughs> man <laughs> other times like you have a nice pagoda on top of you uh lunchtime sometimes they provide lunch they provide water usually get discounts on uh on like concessions um mm. so you get into all the vip access areas you get to talk to the riders like i've i've picked up a whole bunch of pro guys now um, you know, I did eight events so far and looking to do a lot more this year. Um, nice. so like Travis Wyman, um, there was, uh, I'm going to forget off the top of my head. Now I'm, I, I'm under pressure to name them all, but, um, <laughs> yeah, man, it's cool. Uh, Stefano Mesa at, at Barber, um, oh, at, at Barber, we had 66 riders at the Moto America right, uh, round where it rained 66 riders crashed in one day and Saturday uh, now, throughout the whole track, but it was uh, the record. I've never seen that many riders. It was incredibly rainy and wet and people were hydroplaning, but uh, I, I remember that weekend that I, I don't even, 
I couldn't believe that they still ran that weekend. I was yeah, serious. It was wild. Well, they, they delayed it. Uh, contrary to popular belief, they delayed many times because of the rain. And they had, you know, the pace vehicle, the safety car go around and check out different stuff. And they've got brooms out and trying to, you know, sweep the track of, of standing water. So um, it was tough. And they shortened the races. And, um, yeah, it was, it was hard to find a dry spot that entire weekend. I don't think there was any dry spots for, like, the next two weeks. Yeah, yeah was, that was, was I was camping the entire time, so I was just out there in my tent trying to stay dry. Oh, and, shit. Seriously. Uh, yeah, I mean, I'm I'm doing a super low budget, and because uh, I'm flying down to the event, so basically most of my earnings are gone on the flight. So I'm just trying to conserve my money and and just camp there, don't get a hotel. Um, Damn. So and I don't have a rental car, so I'm just like bumming off the people. I usually make a friend and they drive me around somewhere. <laughs> That's crazy shit. I, I see no. what you mean by the numbers thing, though, as well. I mean, I've gotten so much, yeah, so much flack from our freaking numbers because uh, me and my dad, we, we, again, my dad wants to have the prettiest bike there. Uh, we do our own graphics kits and our own uh, stuff like that. And, of course, I want to have the flashy, like, MotoGP style kind of numbers. At every CCS event, I have to have some sort of different number because I refuse to have just a plain number. I don't want that. Yeah. So even even in my, my 870 right now, you'll actually see this camo inside of it. So from a distance, it's legal, yeah. but up close, it still looks nice. So you got some uh, modification to it. Yeah, I, I refuse to have just something plain. You know, that that that's one thing that me and my dad have worked on. We, we decided that you... Because the racing world is is big and flashy as it is, you know, you gotta try and stand out, especially with us being privateer. We wanna we wanna catch the attention of a lot of people. So we we make we and also it's just really fun. We like to have our stuff look real nice. So we've actually just uh, on the hush hush, we started our own graphics company. We're, we're trying to get that started up and everything, and uh, we, we we're getting there. There's been a few dud kits made right now, but but it's looking pretty cool. And I'm hoping to start actually providing that to other artists, you know, giving them like actual graphics kits and stuff like that. Oh, because yeah. it, it is something that I really want to do. That's like part of the business that I know would help out a lot of the guys. Cause I mean, it's freaking crazy trying to get kits over here and, and get that designing and all that kind of stuff and the cost of it. I really, uh, and I know a lot of guys really dig it. So that's somewhere where that I want to help out. You know? Yeah, for sure. Um, so you're a graphic designer. Yeah, well, I mean, I've pretty much all of our bikes um, back in South Africa, over here and everything, uh, me and my dad have designed. So we, we've been, we love racing. We watch racing all the time. We've seen stuff. We've watched all World Superbike, all of MotoGP, all of that kind of stuff. And we, we've, my dad decided at like a very young age, I want my bike to look exactly like that. He wants to have it look crazy and in your face and all that kind of stuff. So we've watched designs and everything. And, and long ago, back in South Africa, my dad got like a, a vinyl cutter. So it just cut out the layers. And I remember watching him at night he, to build up a sticker to have like all the colors. You had to put each layer on top of it kind of thing. And But he wanted it to be right. He wanted it to look exactly like that bike. And I just naturally got into that game as well. So uh, I got the software the, uh, geez, um, a couple of years ago, actually, you know, and I've been designing with that. And we recently just got ourselves an actual vinyl printer so we can go oh, and nice. do the crazy kits and all that kind of stuff. And, and yeah, I, I've, I've done a couple of bikes. Um, I'm pretty sure I'll send you a couple of pictures of the bikes that I've done and, and that I've raced. And we've, we've had a lot of influence. We had a guy at home that it was purely just his job was to get into the graphics design and 
And I remember watching him and going to work and seeing him all the time and like studying his designs and picking it out because it's it's a lot more complicated than just chuck a logo on there and call it a day. You know, it's the, the, it's making your own backgrounds and all that kind of stuff that just really, that's the stuff that really caught me off guard. But um, I'm really getting into it. I'm really enjoying it. And that's where we got to where we're actually going to make a, a company out of it. You know, try and try and build it up there and actually go out with it and make things for other people. Yeah, you know, uh, I would recommend it. I'll give a shout out to my graphic company sponsor. I got one, uh, Pop Shadow Decals, Tia and Steve Palella. Uh, they're now in Florida. I think they were in, in Chicago for a while or uh, <laughs> suburbs of Chicago. Um, but uh, yeah, they make uh, all kinds of stickers and decals. She's always buying new printers and, and wider things. They, wrote, they wrap cars and boats and, and uh, motorcycles and they started out um, as graphics, just, just doing graphics and number, number plates and, uh, you know, different sponsor decals. And I still, am, that's, I still use them They're That's what all my stickers are made from pop shadow decals. I got, I got a three inch sticker. I got a, what is it? A, um, a six inch sticker. I got the 12 inch and I just bought a two foot sticker that's on the back of my tailgate on my truck for Eric Swan racing. The, uh, the logo nice. right over here. It's kind of, you can't see it too well, but that logo is on the back of my truck and two feet wide now. Oh, nice. So, uh, yeah, so I would recommend, you know, anything you can make and you make custom, it's usually pretty good margin because you have to charge like for your creative time. And if you're good at it, you know, um, there could be a market there. It's, it's uh, from a racer to another racer, like racers are always looking for that. Um, and I'm sure you could even branch into, you know, street riders and all that. Not trying to take any business away from Pop Shadow, but there's always more to go around. You know, she, they can't handle all the customers, I'm sure, um, yeah. all in the world. You know, there's always more people. Yeah, I, I definitely I get that. I mean, uh, we're still relatively new to it. We're getting into the game. I, I've been doing, like I said, we've been doing design since, we, since before I was born kind of thing. So we, we know what we've got to do. This is the first time we're actually going to, really jump into that game. And I've seen multiple guys that come past our bikes and they're like, can you do it for us? Can you do it for us? And it's like, well, maybe, maybe we should be doing it for them. You know, so you see how that goes kind of thing. It's, uh, it's going to be really cool. It's, uh, I'm still really new to it. Like I said, it's still hush hush, but yeah, it, it's something that I'm definitely planning for the future. So one thing as a corner worker, I would recommend that you have a standard width for all your numbers and you have a really good contrast background um, because a lot of times uh, one of the, or some people's method to corner working that I think is really valid is you're counting numbers every time you go by you look at okay that's 35 that's number 28 that's number one that's number 14 whatever it is um, and also you usually have like a color so you can identify like I know a lot of the racers but not all of them so like I'm like okay that's blue 17 that's green 14 you know and so on as so, or like green and white, or that's the Aprilia 17. You know, I, I have another characteristic or a color or a bike model so I can like identify where they are and how they're getting passed and how who's faster than who. And uh, there's a lot of times where it's like, okay, 14, 17, 34, can't read. So, you know, and then so on. And then every lap, can't read, can't read. Can't, I have no idea what this guy's number is. I cannot read his number plate. It's just completely unreadable from the front or the side, and he's got nothing on the tail section. Um, and so it's like, okay, well, purple bike, 
That's just purple bike now. Purple bike, no number. <laughs> I don't know. Yeah, I, I can see that though. I mean, yeah, sometimes they're too small. Sometimes they're just they have uh, like I love you, Jason Uribe. I just talked to him for the second time on my podcast, but he's got like a star in the middle of three and six, and everybody on the radio thinks it's thirty-five because it's not. Dis- it cuts off the leg. Yeah, because it's not distinct enough, and you have a star in the middle, so everybody thinks it's thirty-five. So every, when they're calling, they're like bike 35. They're like there is no bike 35 on the grid. Look again. Fantastic. I can really see that. It, it's so weird coming from the other side, you know. I'm I'm the one that's like throwing my toys. Like oh, I want to have my cool freaking stickers and everything. But now, now like you say, when we come past, we look very different. We fly past. It's hard to pick that thing up. So yeah, I'll, I'll be a little bit less painful about it. I'll, <laughs> I'll try and make it a little bit more dealable. Hey, man, you can still be creative, but just be creative in a way that makes it really easy to read. That's all. Yeah. So I, I could also imagine Modern America would be a bit difficult then because over there, it's kind of free reign, really. Yeah. Well, I know the guy. The big thing about numbers is if they can't identify you, they don't care about you, right? Because if they don't know who you are, they're not like, going to like seek you out. If they see yeah, a big wow. Josh Heron red number two, they're going to be like, oh, that's Josh Heron. I know who that is. Mm-hmm. you know it's it's in easily distinguishable yeah I, yeah i suppose over there it's kind of different i mean that that's where i would say over here it would be really cool if we can bring in like the fluorescent numbers the, the bright numbers and all that kind of stuff but again if you the guy themselves if they have the wrong combo on their bike kind of thing it, it just fades into itself you know you could so probably do like a fluorescent yellow backing yeah I, I, I did that. Apparently, it doesn't work. So. <laughs> um, yeah. I had a buddy, Al Zahui. Um, he painted his bike like highlighter orange. And it, it was like, you look, you could not miss it. It was so bright. It was amazing. Uh, so you had to wear sunglasses just to look at it. <laughs> yeah, that, that's what I'm kind of going for. I wanted to blind you as I come past, really get past the competitors and like push them off because they can't see anymore. That's what I want again, but yeah, it's uh, we will uh, we'll see what it looks like at the first race. Right now, we got a couple ideas, but I don't want to say anything about that yet. Sure, keep it under wraps. Yeah, exactly. I'm really excited about it though. And uh, where can people find you online? Uh, pretty much on my my main point that I do a lot of my posting and a lot of my information is going to be on Instagram, uh, which is just uh, Jackson underscore Junior Eight. No capitals. That that's me, and, and Junior spelled J N R because someone took Junior. Irritate the hell out of me. Uh, there on Facebook as well, just under Tyler Jackson. I, I tend to focus a lot more over there. I never, I, I'm I'm getting back into the YouTube game. I never had any like actual writer for or anything like that. But as I'm going a little bit faster, I'm starting to get like, all that kind of stuff. But my main information, all that stuff, is on Instagram. You don't uh, you don't run a GoPro every session and upload it. Nah, I don't. I don't want people to know where my lines are. <laughs> it's just a lot of work. Like all that footage, it takes time. Yeah, exactly. I mean, I, I'm getting into it. We got uh, we got all the equipment now. I just I gotta remember to bring it for the last three events. I forgot to bring it. So but yeah, I definitely I will have a couple of stuff uploaded over time. Yeah, it is um it is time consuming, but you know, it's it's so valuable to have that those images or that video of that awesome pass you did, or maybe you crash and you want to analyze it or just looking at your lines. And uh, even yeah, from yeah. just a YouTube video, 
if you're running data, you can you can uh, overlay your data on top of it, whether it's um, the track position or your your gas throttle um, or even lean angle. You can have that displayed on a on a video that you did. So um, it's a pretty cool technology for that. And maybe uh, you know the reason to put that out there would be you know you might gain some more followers. You might find some people who never knew about you. Um, any any free content like that uh, just takes some time. Yeah, that that is definitely something that's that's new to us because uh, in South Africa, a lot again our currency is kind of kind of terrible compared to uh, the dollar and everything. So it, it was a lot harder to get like those performance race parts. Uh, so we had to really like make a plan with all our race bikes and get that stuff working. And then we came over here and everything's just so easily accessible. It's it is crazy all the kind of stuff you can get for the bike, stuff that I didn't even think was possible to get. So we, we're getting all that kind of stuff now and, and putting it onto the box and we, we kind of put it on. And it's like, okay, well, what do you do with it now? <laughs> Which we're figuring out how to figure, uh, get all that kind of stuff together. But I'm starting to get into that telemetry game. And like you said, to overlay it and find that kind of stuff, it does really help with that. That's mainly why I've got the GoPro and all that kind of information to record the track. So I know from now on, hey, I went a little bit wide over there. I can, I can figure out different lines. I can figure out what my lean angle was at that point, see how I can get better corner speed because your, your mind is in a completely different place in the pits than what it was on the track. So it, sure. it really helps that out. I'll have stuff up. I'll definitely put a lot more stuff up than I have right now. And uh, I saw you on YouTube, actually. I saw you on the Bison YouTube channel. Oh, yeah, yeah. We did a, a cool video with them when, uh, when I first got signed in with them. Uh, we went down to Bushnell. That was the first time we went down there and I got their suits and it was a really amazing suit. But uh, that weekend was a bit of a disaster as well. We, we just built the YZ, uh, drove 16 hours south to go ride and, and then lasted two laps oh, no. and seized up. And we're like, ah, oh, damn. But I was really lucky. We, we bought the Plan B bike, which is my, my old uh, 2000KX250, which feels like an animal as a, as a Mozart. But but yeah, it was really cool to do a video with them. They're really cool guys. They've been helping. They've been helping me out a lot with that as well. And uh, tell me about your suit design. What do you have uh, for colors, or what's your design on the suit? So, the first suits was just a full-on. Let's see what these guys can do. And I just went absolutely crazy with it. I I incorporated as bright of a color as I could. I got fluorescent yellow. I got uh, like a cool blue camo on the front and everything. And I made sure another one is um, I try to copy the um, uh, the Red Bull rookies riders where they have their number on their arm, so well their their flag on their arm. So I had the South African flag on my arm, and uh, I tried to like put a meaning behind it, you know, because uh, again I don't like to just do things; I like to have a meaning behind each thing. And uh, on that suit, it was kind of like a representation of how we saw America and how the American racing world was. It's just, it's bright, it's in your face. There's so much of it. It's just all over the place. It's crazy. And and it, my next suit design for next year, is going to be a little bit different. It's a little more refined. It's going to have different colors. But the cool thing is with Bison is it doesn't matter what colors, what ideas you have, they, they can do whatever you want. Because we we tested the hell out of them with that first suit. Like inside, I had a, the JPR, which is a Jackson Performance Racing. Uh, on my arm and inside there we had carbon lettering on top of that with the fancy stitching and like and we were like not going to get we didn't think we'd get that but Stu's freaking bob we got every fancy stitching all the lines and everything around it it was amazing that they could do that yeah and they've got uh, gloves and undersuits too yeah i I, I can't up until now i never raced with undersuits you know because uh 
well, I just didn't see much of the point with it. Uh, and then once I tried on that undersuit, it just makes such a big difference, especially <laughs> getting out of a suit because like, you know, everything's sweaty and stuck and you're like, it's like you're being reborn. But next thing <laughs> with this undersuit, you literally just slip out of that. Oh, it was such a big difference. And it's the same as with their gloves. They got such freaky ideas that they use. Uh, like they listen to their riders. So they learned where to put contact patches and where to make uh, fancy sliding pieces and everything for it. It really did seem so cool to me how it wasn't just a, yeah, we make a custom glove. Here you go, try it out. They really, they, they take that feedback in and the first set compared to the latest set they made is completely different. I really do enjoy that about them. Do you like to have the fingers stuck together for your two tiny fingers down here? Is that something on your gloves? Yeah, I, I tend, I, I really do like that. Uh, mainly because uh, my braking zones, I, I do use the two finger braking kind of system. And uh, on this bike, we just also got uh, the, the full quick shifter auto blipper system. So you don't really touch that clutch. And that, oh, that, that's just beautiful. Uh, I recently just got used to that. And it's like, whenever I ride my motor, the, the bike screams at me because I'm, I'm so used to changing with our clutches now. So you but don't yeah, even I, use a clutch up or down now? No, with the, with the auto blip and the quick shift, uh, it's like pull away and you're good. These <laughs> kids nowadays, they're so lucky. <laughs> <laughs> no, it's fine. I go back to the prehistoric times when I get back on the supermoto. I'm still trying to figure out how to uh, mount the quick shifter. I know that they make kits for them, but I'm like, nah, I can figure this out on my own. I can get that working. I don't it's need possible. That. Yeah, I've seen guys do it. The crazy thing is with me is because of that, the, the supermotors, I can't go to GP shift. Oh, yeah. Yeah, the, my bike, it's still standard shift. And I, I worry because if I go to GP shift on this thing and a normal shift on that thing, I do the wrong way around on this thing and suddenly it's revving to like 30,000 RPM. Ugh. Yeah, I uh, see, I always did GP shift. And I haven't rode a street bike for like 10 years now. So uh, I've just been on the track only. So um, yeah, I switched over and did, started doing supermoto this year. And I, I muscled 11, 15, 20 times. I don't know. I went the wrong way. I was like, I know how to ride a bike. I swear <laughs> I do. Yeah, you pit that and stalling, pulling out of the pits. It's just like, it's the worst <laughs> embarrassment for a person. Well, see, uh, I think um, you can pretty, you can rev it to the moon. Right? You just got to be really careful with the clutch if you do that. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> oh my God. I'll never forget with that. When we first went to the Supermoto series, there's a lot of young guys in South Africa and they're riding on the, um, like on the 65s with uh, Supermoto rims. They'd slide that clutch like the entire length of the pits. Oh my <laughs> God. It was, it was the worst sound ever. This thing just <laughs> screaming by. Oh, good God. Oh man. You know, uh, when I was first learning, I didn't know anything about riding. Um, I knew like how to ride on the street. I was a pretty good rider and I was, I could go fast in a straight line, but I didn't know like proper downshifting. No one had ever explained like how you're supposed to do it. So like I was getting faster and you start pushing things. And now my, my RPMs are way higher than they ever were. Uh, I know that there's this limiter for a reason, but like I started not fully getting slow enough before I do my downshift. You know, I started kind of like, using my engine braking more than I was actually braking. And yeah, yeah. I was like, oh, that's not good. That's how you wreck an engine real quick. And I'm, I'm pretty sure that's why I blew my engine quicker than it would have lasted. Oh, but yeah, I, mean, I get that. I still got years out of it. It's just, you don't know sometimes. Yeah, yeah, I get that. I mean, I also, when I, when I first started riding, uh, my dad told me when I was, uh, was like uh, eight years old, somewhere around there, and my whole thing was, I could do everything fine. I just couldn't turn. 
So I could change gears and everything great, but like we're going down uh, at home, we had like a, like a small farm kind of thing. We were going down like the, the length of the field and going great, I'm going along, I'm changing gears, everything's fine. And then we get to a turn and I just, I just keep going. And I mean, I, I, I ran my hardest things. I actually, I ran into the wall so hard. It was probably at like 10 miles per hour. But at that point, it felt like the end of the world. I swear to God, I went through it. Yeah. It was absolutely crazy. But like my mind was in a game of like, I could do one thing at a time. If I'm shifting, I ain't turning kind of thing. <laughs> but yeah, I get what you mean. And now you got to combine them all. You got to think fast. You got to be on your toes. Yeah, that, that that's something I'm getting used to the speed. It's the, the little bikes, like the 400s and the Mozarts, they... I'm cool with that. I've been running it for a while, but this thing is like a game changer in your head. You got to really get used to that speed and how things work. It's crazy. And even for like a small bike, in in quotes, that still goes what 110 miles an hour off the showroom floor with zero engine work. Oh yeah, I guarantee it. I mean, my 400, we didn't really do much to the engine. We just uh, we slapped an exhaust on there. We called it a day, and like we did all the other mods around it, and it still did 115 super easy it's not, it's not exactly like that hard to squeeze that out of the bike and quite amazing, uh, actually. now compare that to a car i mean what kind of car would be able to do that performance those performance specs like you'd have to spend a uh, hundred thousand dollars plus to get that kind of car oh easily easily i mean uh, uh my best friend back in south africa he's uh, he's a big car guy uh we we ride together and we we have been riding together up until the day i moved and he was always talking about like, oh, well, yeah, I want to get this car and go do this bike, go do this thing, I'm going to do the yeah, yeah. I'm like, dudes, you can buy a stock superbike from like 2001, and you could flatten whatever you're talking about. It's absolutely amazing the power to weight ratio of these things. Like that's Even with your girlfriend on the back. Exactly, exactly. <laughs> like, it's literally got to a point where like, I, I, I cars are amazing. I always think cars are beautiful. They're great, but once you ride one of these things at speed, it's like, well. I mean, really. <laughs> um, so do you have any four-wheel aspirations? Are you into karting or cars at all or open wheel? Do you have any, would you like to switch over one day to cars? Well, well, I mean, I do enjoy it. I, I have gone go-karting quite a lot. And I, it was definitely, I haven't really explored it that much. It was definitely something I enjoyed. Uh, I, I've just been sucked up into this world so much, but I mean, I just, I love everything with an engine. If, yeah. if I could race a plane, I'll race a plane. Really, I, if, if I had a chance to race one of those, I'd love to, but my main part and soul is in the box. You know, I, I can't get that out of my head. It's really just where I am. Yeah. Well, it's, I guess it's already January 4th. I can't say this year anymore, but last year, less than a year, a year ago, there we go. Less than a year ago, I won a go-kart racing championship. Uh, it's just hey. a local... Just a local event type of thing, uh, but it was six events, and uh, I won five out of six races. The one I didn't win, the guy worked there, um, so he was just ahead of me by like two or three tenths. It's, it can be so hard to pass at those tracks because oh, yeah. not a whole lot of room to pass, and uh, everybody's being as wide as possible, but um, <laughs> yeah, I'm, I'm super into karting. I also rented a legit tag cart. It was like a 125 two-stroke. Uh, I took that to the local uh, East Lansing cart track uh, nearly yeah. about an hour away. Did a, a full two-day track day in that. And I, I actually think it was just a one-day. Um, did a one-day track day. But um, that was like from, you know, nine to five. And every 20-minute session, you go out. Um, 
I think it was 15 minute sessions, but yeah, you still, you get a lot of track time. Yeah. Um, and then I also, this was the first year I did a, a car track day for a weekend. Um, so I, I don't have a race car. Uh, I just rented a car from a rental app and uh, yeah, took yeah. it to the racetrack. I got, I made sure I got the premium insurance. And uh, <laughs> so at first I was just trying to get a, I was trying to get a, a real race car. I put it on social media. I was asking around. Actually, a buddy of mine who bought my my Triumph uh, Daytona 675, he races cars too. So I reached out to him, and he's like, oh, it's in storage. I still got to do some maintenance to it. I'm like, it's not available. I talked to a guy who had uh, who had Porsches, like legit 2020 current model uh, racing Porsches um, for GT3, GT4 classes. But those are... I mean, I could have done it, but those are super expensive. I wasn't looking to spend that kind of money. That was uh, $3,000 per day for just the car. But then you got to get the track time uh, on top of that. So I'm like, I'm not spending $7,000 for this. Um, Jesus. So, uh, yeah, I was going to get a uh, Camaro. Then it turned to a BMW. And both time I reserved the Camaro and then the BMW, then they told me, oh, we're sorry, it's not available. So they gave me each time like a $300 credit. So I'm like, I just made $600. This is great. <laughs> um, and then, uh, so the only other car that was available was like a Chevy Malibu, a completely stock street road car. Oh. Uh, with It did have, uh, it was a semi-automatic. That was the best point about it. Um, but I mean, all season tires, like those tires, yeah. I was so impressed or I was amazed by just the, uh, the, the sound level of the tires, man. It was screaming everywhere, every corner. It's like screaming bloody murder. It, you know, they're so loud because they're not racing tires. They're not meant for that. No, exactly. I, I'm surprised they even stuck. Good yeah. God. Well, I was a lot slower. Like I was 20, I knew the track very well. I went to Granton over in the West side of Michigan near Gingerman. Um, right. and, uh, I was like 20 seconds off my time in the car versus the, my fastest time on a motorcycle. So it was pretty slow, uh, but uh, it was a lot of fun and, and I'd do it again, but I, I would definitely like a faster car. Yeah, I agree with that. I mean, uh, the crazy thing is uh, just talking about the whole car thing when we moved here. In South Africa, a lot of the cars are manuals and uh, over here, a lot of the cars are not. And yeah. it's like, I'm so irritated because I'm, I'm determined I want to get that manual car. But I mean, like, I, yeah, I know it's just so irritating when like you go on like a, like an app to search for a car and it's like, oh, we've got like 40,000 cars available. You put the manual button on, it's like a hundred. Yeah. Like, Very few. Yeah. But I'm determined. Um, I'm, I'm going to find that. I'm going to find that. I also want to do some form of a car track there. That could be really cool. Heck I, yeah. I, de I definitely, I, I dig, uh, I got my eyes on this, like a really cool guy nearby. He's got, he built a Fiat Abarth. Okay. Uh, like a full on like track spec wide body and all that kind of stuff. And I'm like, eh, I mean, if I got that, I, I can't not go to the track with it. I mean, seriously. <laughs> yeah. You know, there's a lot, obviously there's a lot of similarities. Your lines are going to be different. Um, you can probably, I was going to say you can brake harder, but maybe not because uh, I mean, you're not going to, it's not going to be an issue of locking up so much. You're not going to tuck the front in a car, but um mm. You're gonna, you can slide easier and it's not a big deal. Um, but when you crash, it can be a bigger deal. Maybe, I was about not, to say. For, maybe not for physical injury, but for, for your pocketbook. I was about to say, yeah, that's uh, 
premium insurance is going to come in very handy at that point in the game. <laughs> you know, I lost, uh, it just had the hubcaps on the rims. It just had those steel rims with hubcaps on it. So I lost a couple hubcaps. They were flying down the road. Some of the corner workers picked them up for me. Like, I think you might want this. <laughs> oh, dear God. <laughs> and then by the end of the session, uh, since they were just, you know, uh, just regular brake pads, the brakes were shot by the end of it. And I couldn't finish. After the second day at lunch, I was like, it's it's unsafe for me to drive this car anymore at this racetrack. I need to go now um, because there was no, no more brakes anymore. So just using... Uh, just coasting at the end of it, you know, I just, I, I can't do this. I got to get off the track. <laughs> that sounds absolutely crazy. I, I'm surprised you made it out of there. Freaking hell, you're braver than me. <laughs> well, I mean, you just take any vehicle to its limit. So I was like, for a while, it was great. And then it's just the heat of the brakes, you can't sustain that. I mean, they're not, I would assume they're not steel braided. So they were fading a lot. Um, but you just take any vehicle to its limits and you, you have fun and, uh, see what we can do. Keep it on the track. I didn't go off the track. I didn't touch a foot in the gravel. Um, there you go. <laughs> I was just trying to keep it all together and not have an issue. You know, I did have, I talked about this before on here, but um, I did have two lockups that scared the crap out of me. I mean, the lockup isn't such a big deal, but if you do it with a car that has ABS on, it can be a major problem. I could um, imagine, yeah, yeah. As it was trying to stop me instead of like maybe stopping to 50 miles an hour, it stopped me to like 30 or 25 miles an hour. Like I could not release the brakes. Now it was, it took it over for me. And I'm like, thank God I had pulled away from the guy behind me. Um, and he didn't just ram me in the, in the back. And that would have been a bad day. But yeah, I just had this tiny puff of lockup. I was trying to push on the brakes, seeing what the limit was. And I just locked it up just a little bit. And uh, after that, I was like, I'm scared of this car now. How do I turn that, that setting off? Where's the control? There, there's no, you can't really turn that off on the fly. I, I get that, yeah. It's that as well, like on the on the Subox heavy that a ABS. It's jeez, oh, I, I don't trust that. A, eh? I, I I could not trust that because once you feel it, the whole like safer element just goes out the window. You you start panicking once you feel that. <laughs> yeah. Um. Now, are, are you? Uh, I know you're on the 400 a lot, but uh, when you get up to the bigger classes. Would you want to have the traction control and all these electronics, or do you want to stick to just doing it with your hand? So I suppose I'm not really one to say because I haven't really raced with traction control. You know, I've, I haven't really felt it that much. Um, I remember I have, actually, I'm lying, I, I have. Uh, when I was leaving South Africa, we sold everything, we sold our bikes and everything, and uh, I was invited to a Supermoto Invitational race. Uh, I got a sponsored ride there with one of the guys. They really helped me out. I really appreciate that. And uh, it was a brand new uh, Husqvarna uh, Supermoto bike. And it had track control on it. And it, it was definitely, it, it feels like something's wrong. You feel, it feels off kind of thing, especially with me racing with bikes I've never had it before. So uh, I was like, what the hell? But I eventually got used to it over time and felt it out and it felt really good. And I suppose now, I mean, right now I don't need it. <laughs> I, I've had a couple of moments on this dude, like being stupid, going with like a 400 throttle, coming out of the turn and powering it like I would in the 400. It steps out like hell, but it, I would say it's kind of, especially if you're using it for the road, it's, it's kind of not needed. It's not really needed. It, it, I mean, you got to really be pushing the hell out of the bike. I can't see in a way of like, if you are a new rider and you just bought a 600 or a thousand, then yeah, I can see that big benefit. But as a race guy, 
you got to start getting pretty high up in those times and everything before you really, really that traction control actually benefits. Because a lot of the time, some guys will just go like I did, where you just hammer it in the middle of the turn and you end up killing your drive coming out of it kind of thing. So I, I definitely, I, I say right now, I could I could go faster because I'll feel a lot safer, uh, pretty just from that aspect. But I'm not really like riding around the bike going, ah, oh, man, I wish I had traction control on this thing right now. You know, it, it's yeah. not really like that in my head. Um, so what is something in your riding that you can, uh, you feel like you can improve on? Um, I think right now my whole thing is I need to focus on just feeling out how this thing feels and getting used to its throttle. You know, um, I, I've always been a moron on the brakes. Like I will, I will purposely, if I'm racing against someone, watch the guy in front of me, watch when he breaks, go past him and then break. So I, I've always been really happy with my braking zones. It's, it's just because of that, I've always been a little bit more cautious on my throttle. So I, I am getting there. I got really comfortable on my 400 where I could just come out of the turn, just smack it, and like nothing happens. It was really cool. And I tried down this thing and it, it wasn't really cool. But uh, yeah, I do really think that's my main area I got to get used to is just being able to be a lot more smoother with that whole system. Well, trying to get to uh, 100% throttle as quick as possible without losing any traction is always tough. Oh, yeah, definitely. It's bit- <laughs> Especially with this dude, he's, uh, the ECU's got a little bit of a, a a weird map on it. So when you first crack that throttle, it's it's snappy. And that's not really confidence inspiring, but we, we're getting that ironed out. It's going to be all sorted out. But when I first rode it, oh, my God, I, I thought I was going to die that day. <laughs> Freaking hell. Yeah. And uh, uh, what are you doing for your training nowadays? And in, in wintertime, you're probably pushing harder than when you're actually racing, I would assume. Yeah. I suppose, like, right now, right now it's – it's very much a case of I'm taking it a little bit easy. Uh, the, the main season, we were riding every single weekend of summer. We were, we were out on the track and doing some form of riding. But uh, right now, I've got myself a really cool uh, uh, like progress going on right now in gym with um, uh, on-track performance. Really cool dude. He's been helping me out. And um, I do usual just two hours of gym kind of thing, doing the cardio, doing the muscle. And I've found that riding this thing, I need a lot, a lot different workouts than i had on the 400 and it, it's definitely it's better and worse because now i'm not so much focused on i have to be the lightest thing possible because on that bike i'm racing against a lot smaller people you know uh and now that i'm on the 600 i got a little more cast on it it's like ah yeah it's fine I don't have to be light but now oh man you gotta be strong to ride these things frick you know so uh I definitely, I spoke to him about it and he's like he's got me a really cool program and i've just been loving it he's really been helping me out I was having a lot of sessions where I was burning myself out because I didn't know what I was doing. So I was just overworking it like hell. And he came along and he was like, okay, listen, kid, you're doing all this wrong. So it was really cool to have that professional help. And I know it's really going to help me out. But during the on season, it's pretty much just every weekend hitting that track. We, we got a track that's really close by that I'm hitting. If it's not a race weekend, we're hitting that track with the supermotos and and it's 25 bucks to ride. So, I mean, seriously, of course, I'm going to be out there as much as I can. Which yeah, that's basically the system. Yeah, I would, see, I would assume you probably have, like, thousands of laps in by now. <laughs> oh, yeah, definitely. At, at my home track, I could ride that track with my eyes closed. Uh, I've, I've hit it so many times. And I, I, it's actually really funny. Like, when I go through there in the morning, I take, like, a new people around there. I'm like, this is turn one, so I crashed yes. Turn two, crashed yes. Turn four, <laughs> crashed yeah. <laughs> See, where have you not crashed? Yeah, I've, I've uh, found that <laughs> that happens sometimes too. 
<laughs> I've even crashed in the pits. I, I got cocky one day and tried to do like a circle donut with the bike and just uh, crashed yeah. in the pits as well. I think that was my uh, first or second crash ever. I was trying to do a circle burnout in the parking lot before I was even a uh, track rider and uh, I, I tipped it over pretty easily. That, that didn't take long. It was like I wasn't practicing. Like that was like my first or second try. Like that was, you know, it just happened yeah, right yeah. away. I was like, well, that's not how you do it. Fantastic. Oh, geez. It must've looked fantastic. <laughs> oh, I, I think I put my, I mean, it wasn't a rear set. It was like an OEM foot peg, just assembly, like the whole thing. And uh, I put it on my wall for a while, but uh, yeah, I was like, well, don't do that again. That was expensive. I was about to say, oh, jeez. Oh my god! <laughs> a couple hundred bucks. It's like, man, for one mistake, that's that's really unforgiving. Yeah, exactly. And uh, it just goes up from there. Like, oh wow, one little mistake in the braking zone, I've got to rebuild the whole thing. Really? I should build like a cage. Like, if your bike uh, crashes, it'll just like circle. You know, ever seen those uh, those stuntman rigs yeah, yeah, where they bicycle, the... they hit the brakes, and then they do a flip? Yeah, yeah, yeah. something like that. <laughs> like 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 you have the airbag in the suits just make an airbag for around the whole block perfect yeah it would just never get damaged <laughs> exactly exactly Break maybe one out. day or uh i think really what what could what if you had some sort of like arm that props up if you're gonna low side um yeah. or an arm that shoots out from the bike that has a wheel on it and in uh a tenth of a second yeah make, make the bike a tripod that, that, that'll save anything. <laughs> it could, it could, man. Maybe in 2050. We'll get there, we'll get there. When there's, when there's no longer tires on rims anymore. Right? We'll be uh, all flying around in drones. Yeah, exactly. That's really cool. I've seen that before. That's really cool. At drone racing, I've seen they use like old stadiums and they just like fly through the concession stand area and like all sorts of crazy obstacles. Yeah, that's really sick. I, I watched that. There's even a guy that made an actual drone that you can ride like a buck. Yeah, That's oh, wow. sick. <laughs> I think it's coming. I mean, they have those drone delivery packages and those ha handle probably 40, 50 pounds. Mm -hmm. Yeah, that, that's freaking crazy. I, I don't trust them. I'm worried you think they to take me out, but I mean, it's cool that they can do it. Yeah, for sure. So uh, is there anything else you wanted to talk about today? Yeah, I, think, I think I'm pretty cool. It's really nice to meet you, man. Yeah, for sure. Uh, maybe we'll uh, see you at the track and hopefully not in uh, in the gravel trap. Uh, definitely not. I would uh, I would appreciate that not. Well, uh, I'm going to take some time, get this edited and posted. I'll be sure to tag you, and we should also tag everybody we talked about. And um, be sure to share it when it comes out. Yeah, I definitely will. Thanks, man. I really appreciate it. It was really cool talking to you. All right, thanks, and uh, I'll talk to you soon. Take care. There you go. Cheers, man. Cheers.